welcome to the Stop Chasing What Isn't Changing podcast. I am Elaine Scuds, a mom of three, hairstylist and salon owner, entrepreneur, and been told by many, a great listener. I chased dreams for years, the perfect house, the perfect body, the perfect family, and the perfect job. I realized I spent so many years chasing someone else's standards, someone else's dreams, all thanks to society. The conversations on this podcast are here to help you accept, love, and validate yourself. They are here to spark inspiration, to help motivate, and to help you grow into being comfortable and happy with the life you have. As I have these conversations, I hope you realize that age and gender should not limit you on what you desire and that being a woman and a mom shouldn't be so damn hard. And on the days you feel defeated, you are not alone. Stop chasing someone else's standards, someone else's dreams. It is time to declare your own and to start your journey. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Stop Chasing What Isn't Changing podcast. I'm Elaine Scuds, your host, and today I have my naturopathic doctor as my guest, Dr. Nicole Panathir. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Dr. Nicole Panathir has been practicing naturopathic medicine for seven years. She approaches each patient's case in a holistic manner and aims to find the root cause of each illness in order to strengthen the body as a whole. She provides treatment protocols to fit the needs of each patient and follows each individual through all aspects of their journey to optimal health and wellness. And this is why I have been seeing her for the last, I believe, five or six years. And it has been an amazing journey with you. Thank you. So today we are talking about dun, dun, dun. Estrogen dominance, which Estrogen is the word, yes, everyone that is female has heard this at one point in another, right? Like, I think even when you first start to have your period, you can become dominant with estrogen, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So why? And like, go ahead. So the thing with estrogen dominance, it's not a medical diagnosis. It's not even really a functional diagnosis. It's just a way that we talk about the hormone imbalances in your body. So there's lots of different kind of aspects of estrogen dominance, and it's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Um, estrogen's not bad. If you talk to any postmenopausal woman who doesn't have as much estrogen anymore, they will tell you that estrogen is not bad. It's just if your body's not handling the estrogen well, or if it's not in alignment with the rest of your hormones. So just to clear that up initially, it's not that estrogen is bad or that you've actually got too much of it. It's just that in relation to everything else, it's not working for you. Yeah. Because for me, that word means like, um, like it can connect to cancer, right? Having right. too much of it can cause ovarian cancer, breast cancer. So you get a little bit terrified of knowing that, oh my gosh, I have too much of it. And along with all the other things that it can also cause within your body, Mm-hmm. Um, some of the symptoms are like heavy periods, clotting, 
like is that is that a symptom as well like the blood clot so if you basically think of all of your hormones whether we're talking estrogen progesterone testosterone cortisol any any of your hormones they act as messengers in your body so wherever they're coming from they send a signal they bind to a receptor and then that signal gets transferred to the cell that that receptor is on that's how hormones work. They act as messengers. So if you have an overactivity of estrogen in your system, either you're producing too much of it, you are not clearing it well enough, or you've got other things that are activating those receptors, even that aren't necessarily true estrogen in your body, then any estrogen responsive tissues are going to be overactive. So this is things like your uterus, your ovaries, your breast tissue, all of your typical female organs have lots and lots of hormone receptors on them, and they're going to be responsive to estrogen. So if you think of overactivity of any of those hormones, that's where we start to get fibrocystic breast tissue, or we start to get really heavy periods because the uterine lining is being overactive. We see ovarian cysts because they're overactive. We see lots of clots, lots of cramps, all of your estrogen responsive tissues are just working overtime. So that's where a lot of those symptoms come from, but they can look different for different women. So you don't necessarily have to have all of them to, to be considered, you know, estrogen dominant, that you've got a problem with your estrogen. Um, it looks different for different women, but that kind of combination of symptoms is what we're looking for. And like what creates the production of like excess estrogen compared to like progesterone? Cause do we, we, our bodies create progesterone as well, right? Mm-hmm. Women, right? So what, yep. what does like, well, how does that happen? So typically what we see is that the, est- the estrogen is always coming from your ovaries um, as your main source. You've also got some estrogen that's created um, in other hormones as well, or other organs as well, sorry. And then um, you also have other, other hormone active tissues. So fat tissue, particularly the adipose tissue that's around your midsection, it tends to be very hormone responsive and can breed estrogen. Um, And then we also have estrogen coming from exogenous sources. So things like the birth control pill, um, which has become much more popular in the last 50 years or so, we're actually seeing estrogen in the water, which is typically because we're excreting estrogen from the birth control pill and our water treatment systems don't filter it out. So there's estrogen been found in water. We see estrogen in all of our plastics. So that's where the BPA thing comes from. Um, most of our plastics, if you're cooking with plastics or microwaving with plastics, all of those byproducts can then be absorbed into your food and they can act on estrogen tissues. So things like plastic water bottles and plastic cooking utensils, plastic Tupperware containers, all of those kinds of things, um, they can have a big impact. And the other big one is your beauty products. So things like makeups and body washes, shampoos, all of those kinds of things. That's where we see a lot of products now don't have parabens and don't have phthalates. And a lot of people are switching to more of the natural products because they have been known to be what we call estrogen or hormone disruptors. So there are things that get into your body, usually through your skin, because we do absorb through the skin. Um, And by doing that, it gets into your bloodstream and then they can act on those estrogen receptors as well. So it's not necessarily just what our body's producing. It's all the extra stuff that we're also getting from our environment. And that's tough to avoid. Yeah. Like just listening to you, my anxiety started to like increase in my body because I always become paranoid about my children, right? Like I've raised my kids. I carried them in my uterus. I want to protect them. And knowing that 
and I've known this for a while, like specific things will cause the disruptors to happen and everything. It causes me so much fear because as like, what can we do to help avoid it? Yes. Don't use something that has BPA in it. You know, don't use the microwave, go to the natural products, but what other things can we do to consume that will help, um, get rid of the estrogen in our bodies because it settles, right? Like it'll find a spot and it'll settle in that spot, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, you're not alone in, in saying that it causes a lot of anxiety because when we look at how toxic our environments are, it becomes really overwhelming to say, I'm going to pull all of the things, Yeah. right? We're all exposed to so many things unless we're living in a bubble, which some of us have for the past couple of years, even then, we're going to be exposed to things. So getting the idea of totally cleaning up your environment out of your head is probably a really good place to start because it's just not a realistic way for most of us to live our lives. Um, but then start with the small things, right? So switch from plastic Tupperware to glass containers. They're pretty easily available now. Um, you know, switching from a plastic water bottle to a glass water bottle fairly simple to do. Um, take a look at your, your beauty products. Um, there's tons and tons of really great products out there now um, that are you know free of chemicals and are fairly natural as far as they go. So even if it's not perfect, it's a step in the right direction. Switching to natural deodorant or switching to you know whatever natural product works for you. Um, if it's not all of them, that's okay. Um, organic food is another one that lots of people want to do and want to consume and want to commit to but it's expensive and it's sometimes tough to find. And, you know, it's not always a realistic choice. So for that, again, do what you can with what you've got. Um, your clean 15 is usually your foods that have less pesticide residue in them to begin with. Usually these are your, your fruits and vegetables with thicker skin on them. Um, the pesticides don't tend to penetrate through quite as easily. So those ones you can usually get away with not doing an organic source for, for your dirty dozen. And this is this, these are lists that are released every year by the Environmental Working Group. You can find them online. They've got tons of resources out there. Um, those are ones to prioritize because they tend to be heavier in the pesticide residues. So when they do it, they do a study every year on all of the you know, common fruits and vegetables, and they test the pesticide levels. So if you're going to prioritize something, prioritizing that list is a really good place to start. Um, the Environmental Working Group also has a list of household products, so your cleaning products and those kinds of things that tend to be the higher offenders as far as how, you know, chemically toxic they are. And they do something with the, they have a list for the beauty products as well. Um, so that's usually a good place to start, um, but small changes build up. So it's not something that you have to do all at once. It's just something that over time, if you're aware of, and you can slowly substitute things, eventually over time, you end up having less toxic load, which is a good thing. Um, and the other thing is we can improve how your body gets rid of all of these things. So whether it's because your body is producing natural estrogen and you're having a hard time clearing it, or you're being exposed to lots of things in your environment and you're having a hard time clearing that. Either way, we can help your body detox. Now, I don't love the word detox because it implies that we're toxic, which we're not. Yeah. Um, it implies that our systems need something extra, which we do not. Um, you know, our bodies have a very strong detox system that's working every single day between your skin, your lungs, your digestive system, your urinary system all of it's constantly working to 
get rid of things that we don't need. So, um, you know, we don't need something fancy there, but we can make sure that the detox systems you already have are working as well as they can be. So when it comes to estrogen in particular, your digestive system is the biggest thing. Um, so what happens with estrogen is if we're not very good at binding it up in our liver and clearing it out through our stools, that's one of the main ways we get rid of that, then our bodies will actually recycle it. So instead of clearing it out, you know, building more and then clearing out what we don't need, you get a double hit of it. So your body's still producing what it was, what it's supposed to be producing. And then whatever doesn't go out through your bowels actually gets reabsorbed and gets used again. Right. So for women who are chronically constipated or who are overweight and have fatty liver disease, these two things have a huge impact on how well your body is clearing estrogen. So if we can get those two systems working better, then that's an easy way for us to improve how well your body's detoxing all of that through a system that's supposed to be working well anyways. Yeah. So everything goes through the liver, right? With liver is big. Liver is your, your big detox organ. Um, one of the big things that it does, it's got two different phases that basically convert all things. So whether that's metabolic waste or hormone or chemicals or whatever it is you're, you're detoxing, um, your liver goes through two phases to basically turn those things into a form that can be excreted either through the urine or through the sweat or through um, the stools, whatever that looks like based on, on what is being detoxed. Um, your liver is big. Okay. And so lots of people have more of a sluggish liver, especially if their digestive system is slower. Um, lots of people don't produce as much bile as they should, especially if you've got gallbladder issues um, or you've had your gallbladder removed, then that can play into that. Um, so there's lots of different, there's lots of different aspects of your digestive system that might not be working well, but as far as regulating hormones, optimizing your digestion, making sure you've got enough stomach acid, making sure your digestive enzymes are functioning properly, making sure your gut bacteria are in balance. All of these different components all work together to help you get rid of the stuff you're supposed to be getting rid of. Okay. Um, you had talked about how our bodies naturally will produce the estrogen and some of us produce more than others. Why does that happen? Like, is it during our cycle? Is it during a certain age? Like, why does that so happen? There's lots of things that contribute there. There's genetic differences that, that play into it. Um, it does depend on age and kind of where you are in your cycle over time. Um, women of a childbearing age tend to produce more estrogen than women who are later in life and kind of transitioning more towards that perimenopause or menopausal period. Um, stress will play into it. Fat tissue will play into it. Um, so there's lots of different components that change how much estrogen we actually produce. Right. Um, and that will also vary month to month throughout your cycle as well. So you tend to be more estrogen dominant in the first half of your cycle when you're trying to mature an egg to ovulate. And then after ovulation, you're supposed to be more progesterone dominant to, in theory, maintain a pregnancy if that occurs. Um, and then when, you know, the week before when your body gets a signal, no, I'm not pregnant, the progesterone will drop off. And that's when your body gets the signal to get your period. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I'm sure I knew that, but to know how like the different hormones work in those different cycles, mm -hmm. um, is interesting for myself. I became very heavily, um, dominant with estrogen after I had my last child. And mm -hmm. that's when I noticed a lot of changes within my body, my periods. Um, and I've had many conversations with clients of mine, how, like, I felt like, you know, you would just like 
felt like you were basically bleeding out to death, right? When you had your period, heavy, heavy clotting, uh, your breasts were very tender, very, very sore, but the sex drive was like non-existent. That is a sign of being dominant with estrogen as well. It can be, um, low libido can be a sign of lots of different things. So testosterone definitely plays into that. Progesterone plays into that. Cortisol plays into that. Um, libido can actually be a number of different things. Um, and, and it can get a little bit complicated. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously it sounds like it could be a little bit complicated. Um, so with food, what would you recommend that people could add to their diet to help remove like the X or like if someone were to say, I want to start eating these foods, but they weren't dominant with estrogen, it wouldn't harm them. Correct. Right. No, your body's not going to clear extra estrogen unless it needs to. Right. So what we can, we can use food to support that in terms of helping support your liver and, and bind up the estrogen in your bowels to get things moving there. Um, so number one, I would say your greens are huge. Um, so your dark leafy greens, pick the ones you like, you can do kale, arugula, bok choy, broccoli. You can do sprouts. You can do greens powders. Um, there's tons of different options out there. They do a really good job at helping support the liver in that phase one and phase two detox to help convert the hormones and other toxins to get them into a form that your body can excrete more easily. So they're a really good one to put in on a very regular basis. Um, flaxseed is another one of my favorites. So it doesn't really matter if it's red flax, brown flax, golden flax, flax is flax for the most part. Um, Flax does a really good job at binding up estrogen and other toxins in the bowels specifically so that it can be excreted through the stools. It's also got some really great hormone balancing oils in it. So it kind of a a double hit there. And the fiber that's in flax also does a really good job at feeding those good gut bacteria, the probiotic bacteria that live in your bowels and dictate, you know, a million and five functions that probiotics do. So they flax tends to be a really good one that I incorporate often Um, with flax seeds. You don't want to buy it pre-ground. So the problem with buying it pre-ground is that the oils that are on the inside that we're using for hormone balancing are going to be exposed to the air for too long. And when that happens, they go bad. They either don't do anything or they actually increase the amount of inflammation that's there, which is the exact opposite of what we're looking to do. So what you want to do is buy the flaxseed whole. Um, the grocery store typically has it in a, in a little container in the nuts and seed section. It's like $3 for a whole big thing of flax buy it whole, grind it as you need it. I usually recommend about a week or two at a time. Um, And then you want to store that in the freezer. And by doing that, you're going to keep the seed coat on the seed for as long as possible, which protects the oils. And then keeping it in the freezer is going to help make sure that those oils stay preserved even after it's ground. So you can add the flax to a salad, add it to a smoothie, mix it in applesauce and coconut yogurt, whatever works for you is fine. Um, You don't want to bake it in anything because that'll denature the oils and break down some of the fiber, which makes it less effective. Um, But anything room temperature or less is typically fine. Um, With flax, you want to make sure you're drinking a lot of water because if you are dehydrated, then it's actually going to constipate you and make the problem worse because that uh, that fiber that's in the flax needs water to absorb um, or else it kind of just sits there and gets stuck and causes a lot of discomfort. So with flax, you want to make sure that you're drinking lots of water there. Um, and the other big thing is your probiotic foods. 
So lots of people take a probiotic supplement, that's fine, but there's lots of foods that are naturally high in those good bacteria um, and they're an easy one to incorporate too. So those are typically your fermented foods. Um, so things like sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, miso, dark chocolate is a good one. Um, basically any of your, your fermented foods, you can do uh, kombucha, um, anything like that tends to work really well because those will add um, extra good bacteria in your gut that will not only help those bacteria thrive and, and function the way that they're supposed to, but then also add up some extra fiber, which tends to, again, bind up that estrogen and get rid of it. So with the dark leafy greens, I know for me, I didn't realize actually that the dirty 12, the list of the dirty 12 changes every year. I thought yes. it was, so I need to read up on that now. Cause I thought it was just in general, right? There's a lot of repeat offenders. Like right. the list, a lot of the same foods show up every year. Sometimes right. it's a different order of what those foods are, okay. um, but there's a lot of repeat offenders. Okay. Because when you say to consume like the dark leafy greens, there are quite a few dark leafy greens that are, that I had seen on the dirty 12, right? The list mm -hmm. of the 12. So you have to make sure that you're getting the organic ones. Ideally. Well, yeah. Yeah. Ideally you get those organic. And again, it makes sense because say, say you're spraying, you know, a coconut, with a pesticide, the chances of that pesticide leaching through to the middle is a lot less than something like spinach. Right. Right. If you just think about the structure of the food, yes. um, a lot of people have a hard time buying organic because it does go bad faster. And um, one of my hacks there is buy it frozen. Typically your frozen fruits and vegetables are just as good, if not better than your fresh stuff, especially here in Canada. And if you're buying it um, off season, then that you know, that makes a big difference. Um, the reason there is that they're frozen at peak ripeness. So instead of saying, and when, when foods are at their peak ripeness, then that's where they have the most, uh, vitamin and mineral content in them. So if we're optimizing the content of those vegetables and we're able to keep them on, you know, in a good form longer, the frozen stuff is actually just as good, if not better. And to get organic fruits and vegetables in a frozen form is typically cheaper than the fresh ones. Okay. So that's an easy way, you know, if you want to get spinach in there, get a whole bunch of frozen spinach, mm -hmm. you can get the organic one um, and, you know, throw that in your smoothie, put it as a side dish, mix it in just about anything, throw it in soups or stews or, or anything like that. And then if you want to do the fresh one, then that's where you get the organic one. If you're doing that as, you know, a salad or something where you want the form to be a little bit better. Right. Um, but yeah, using the frozen ones is, is fine. Yeah, it is. It is cheaper too, right? Totally it is. Yeah, totally. It lasts longer. You throw out much less. Um, it, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. When it comes with the flaxseed, if you're not using the flaxseed to target the estrogen, do you still not recommend to buy the pre um, ground flax? Always, always buy the whole. Yeah. Always, yeah, always I, buy, buy I buy the whole. You told me to do that a long time ago. Yeah. Always buy the whole. Um, because again, regardless of why you're using it, the oils on the inside are important. And by the time you get to the bottom of a bag, even if the bag's sealed, when you buy it, um, you're going to have those oils exposed to the air for far too long for them to be still able to do what they need to do. Right. Um, and then with the fermented food, if somebody has problems with their digestion, the fermented food isn't going to cause them to have more issues because sometimes people think like acidic stuff is not going to sit well in their gut. Is that true? Or like, where, where do you, like, what can you say about that? 
It very much depends on the person. So again, acidic foods, if that's usually causing an issue for you, it tends to be more of a stomach acid problem. Either you've got too much or you've got not enough. And we need to optimize that before you're going to be able to break down and absorb those foods properly. Um, the other big one to watch for is if you're doing either probiotic and things get worse or you do fermented foods and you feel much worse. Typically that's where we see lots of gas and bloating, constipation can get worse, lots of digestive discomfort. Um, that can be a sign that you have an overgrowth, of the bad bacteria in your bowels, and we need to take care of those before we put the good guys in. So if you tolerate the fermented foods fine, then go for it. And um, if you're not tolerating the fermented foods or the acidic foods, then that's a sign you need further evaluation to figure out exactly what the problem is. Okay. So for me, when I started to have the dominance in my body, I was lucky enough that my um, family doctor was very well versed in this and actually practiced a lot of non-conventional medicine. And she was very against, I'm not, I'm not going to say against, she was she had a different outlook on it, right? Mm -hmm. And so if someone's going to go to their doctor and their doctor just is not well versed in all of this, um, like I obviously am going to say, go and see somebody outside of that field, right? But if you're mm -hmm. having what, like, can you say what specific symptoms can, is somebody going to be having that you, and they go to their doctor and the doctor isn't willing to look beyond what their scope of knowledge is for them to take matters into their own hand and move on. Yeah. So, I mean, medical doctors and, and naturopathic doctors look at things just a little bit differently. Um, when your medical doctor is running lab work or imaging or any of those kinds of things, um, they're looking for where are you outside what's considered the normal range? Where are you sick? Whereas your naturopathic doctor is more looking at where are you not only outside of the range, but if you're in the range, where are you within that range? How is it working in your body? And where are you optimal? Where are you well? So we just look at things in a different perspective. It's not that one is wrong. It's just that we look at things differently. So um, your medical doctor will do a really good job of ruling out all of the big, scary things. So, you know, your big symptoms of, you know, acne or period issues, you've got cramps, you've got really heavy bleeding, you've got any of those kinds of things um, to get an evaluation by them. They can rule out that you've got PCOS. They can do imaging to see what your uterine lining looks like. They can run blood work to make sure that there's nothing massively out of whack. And if all of that comes back normal, then that's where we tend to come in and see how are all the systems in the body working together, where could that dysfunction possibly be coming from? And then how do we get to the root of where it's coming from and get rid of it? Um, so the idea in an ideal situation, we work together because both of us have our strengths and, you know, ideally we both get to use those strengths. Um, some doctors are more open to working with us than others. Um, but that's fine too. We can, right. we can work either way. And do you also do testing for like, can you guys do the testing for PCOS? So we can't do imaging. Um, so no, no ultrasounds, no x-rays, no CTs, MRIs, anything like that. We can't order imaging. We can order blood work. So we order most of the same blood work that your medical doctor would run. Um, again, we look at that blood work a little bit differently, but as far as the testing goes, we have access to it. Uh, we also have access to functional testing, either through urine or saliva. Um, those look at 
different markers. Um, I don't tend to do a lot of testing when it comes to hormones. Um, I don't find that it gives us a lot of information that your symptoms won't give us. Um, you know, if you really want to see the numbers and you really want to see the patterns, then for sure we can run it, but I don't like spending people's money unnecessarily if it's not going to actually change our treatment plan and what we're going to do. Right. So usually for me, um, we do a really thorough intake. We ask a lot of questions. Some of them seem totally random and way out in left field, but they all give me information. Um, and then from there, we can kind of figure out what the hormone imbalance is probably looking like and how to support the systems. Yeah, I can say that, um, like, I'm really, I'm very thankful that my, our paths have crossed because in the years that we've been working together, my irritability and my wanting to like, um, turn into the meanest person on earth has really, um, gone down quite a bit. COVID has brought it out again, but that's a different story because <laughs> it's COVID. Yeah, that's, not your hormones. <laughs> that's, that's not hormones. That's just, you know, something else. But, um, it, I do recommend that if you are someone that is struggling and you haven't found a solution or haven't had the answers that maybe, uh, have been helpful that, um, you know, give, give it a try. And if, if you had one last thing to say about the estrogen dominance and what you can service to people or help them out with, what would you, what would you say? I would say figuring out where the problem is coming from is really important. So, you know, the same symptom can show up in different people for completely different reasons. And until we figure out where that problem is coming from, you're kind of stabbing in the dark as far as figuring out a solution that's going to work. So, you know, if your digestion is a major issue, then that's always a good place to start because it really is the root of everything. Um, if digestion is not a problem, then that's where we start to look at other things. Um, we start to look at where's your exposure. We start to look at what your liver's doing and um, where all your other detox things are, are happening. Um, there's lots of different explanations for the same symptom for different people. So just because your friend is doing this and you know, it's really working well for them doesn't mean it's going to be the same thing for you. So we really have to figure out for you where the problem is coming from and then how we're going to solve that. Right. And where can people find you, Nicole or Dr. Yeah. So I'm the owner of reach wellness in Whitby. So we're right downtown Whitby. Um, I'm also on social media. So reach wellness Whitby on Facebook and Instagram. And then my website is nicolepanather.com. Thank you so much for taking your very busy schedule, taking time out for me and everybody listening. And hopefully this has helped a few um, people out today. And I appreciate all of your um, knowledge. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Enjoy your day, ladies. I'll talk to you again. I did it again. I, I spun too stupid and it all. Thank you for allowing me to take up space in your day. I always invite conversation to happen. If you felt connected to today's podcast, please send me a message. I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure that you subscribe so you never miss an episode and please share it with a friend. Also, if you have a topic that you would like for me to discuss, please reach out and let's have a conversation about it. You can email me at Stop chasing what isn't changing at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram, elaine.g.1.
elaine.scuds e-l-a-i-n-e period g period s-c-u-d-d-s always remember to stop chasing what isn't changing in your life don't be afraid to create those habits and to take the steps to achieve what you desire, what you deserve, and what you have been dreaming of. I am Elaine Scuds, and I hope you have an amazing day.